Hello, and welcome to another episode of Who Knew in the Moment, the podcast. I'm your host, Phil Friedrich, and today I'm honored to have Dominique Murphy with me. And to tell a little bit about her, she has an amazing story. She's a speaker, an author, a three-time Emmy winner, which if you're watching, you can see those behind her. And uh, she's a Mrs. America competitor. And one of the things that you're going to hear in her story as we talk today is how to take your story and connect and relate to others. So Dominique, thanks so much for being on today. Phil, I'm so excited. Thank you for this opportunity and congrats on all of the stuff that you are doing. You're just crushing it, my friend. Well, I appreciate that. To kick off your story, though, I want to go back to 13-year-old you and your dad comes home with an application. So talk a little bit about, uh, you know, younger years and getting started. Oh my gosh. Well, first and foremost, wow. I'm impressed that you've done such extensive research, Phil. So the, Phil's referring to how I got into journalism, how I got into a, a career in television. And when I was younger, I was a thespian. So I was the theater kid. I love to be the ham. So during the holidays, I'd be the person like, let me put on a show, right? Like a one, one man band show kind of thing. So I always knew I wanted something where I could be front facing, something where I could just show my personality and have fun. And also I loved the art of storytelling. Yeah. I didn't know it at the time, but I just knew those were the things I really liked to do and talk. So <laughs> fast forward, my father was a, he's a former high school administrator. And every now and then they would get applications and booklets to different programs happening in the summer. Yeah. So a woman stopped by the office. Her name is Linda McDonald, amazing woman. And she said to my father, we have a program called the Urban Journalism Workshop. It's a two-week camp at St. Thomas University where kids come and they learn the art of journalism, all sides of it. So my dad thought, okay, this, this sounds really fun. So he yeah. brought home the flyer. I'll never forget it. It was like a, like a pale yellow printed, like home printed flyer, like trifolded, nothing fancy like we have in today's world. And he brought this flyer home and he said, hey, Dominique, this woman came by the office today by the name of Linda, and I think you would be really good at this. It's a program for kids to get into journalism. And I said, what's journalism? And he said, well, it's, it's everything you like to do. It's writing, it's speaking, it's storytelling. Now at the time I was focused on being two things, either a supermodel or a wedding planner in Milan. Don't ask me why. Very, very specific. Very specific. That. Yeah, yeah. Very left brain, Milan. So, uh, and no idea why I had never been. Maybe I just like the, the Disney movie or something, but I'm like a wedding planner in Milan is what I'm going to do. And so my, uh, my, my father said, well, Dominique, I think you should apply for this. And I said, well, okay. So I filled it out in five minutes because I really wasn't interested. I mailed it in and I got a letter back two weeks later. And I remember I got it from the mailbox and it had my name on it. And as a 13 year old, you don't really get much mail with your name on it. So I, I opened it up and it said, dear Dominique, unfortunately, you were not accepted into the urban journalism workshop. Yeah. And it was the first time, Phil, in my life that I can remember feeling rejected. Hmm. And I was like, what? I didn't get in because I had always gotten into everything I had done. I said, what? So I took the letter to my father. I said, dad, I didn't get in. And he looked at me. He said, well, did you apply yourself? I said, no. He said, and I'll never forget this. He looked at me and he said, how do you ever expect to achieve anything in life if you don't apply yourself? Wow. And that was my aha moment of life. Like, oh, okay. For a 13 year old's mindset to have success, I have to have the vision and the application. I have to apply 
because otherwise it's just not given to you. You have to yeah. earn it. And so I said, okay, a year later, my dad brought home the same flyer and he said, Dominique, you're not going to believe this. Linda came in the office again this year and they're looking for students for the workshop. And I said, dad, I didn't get in. He said, but remember, you told me you did not apply yourself. Mm. He said, so why don't you try and see what happens? Now, 14-year-old me said, okay, well, I'll try, but if I don't get in, don't ask me again. And he said, okay. I went upstairs and I worked on this application for hours and I sent it in. Two weeks later, I got an acceptance letter. Dominique, yeah. congratulations. And I said, oh my gosh, I got it, I got it. <laughs> so I ended up going to St. Thomas University for two weeks. And day one, I called my dad and I said, this is what I'm going to do with the rest of my life. I said, this is it. I love it. And the program was three prongs. So we did uh, a third of it focused on broadcast journalism, which is what I fell in love with. A third of it was on written form. So print. And then the other third was focused on radio. So that day at 14 years old, I committed myself. I said, this is what I'm going to do. This is it. I love media. I love the television side of it and let's go. So that's how I got my start in the business. I love it. So I want to unpack a couple of things there. One of them is, you know, that conversation that your dad had with you, because I think sometimes we don't succeed at something right away. And all of a sudden we just assume, Hey, I'm not good at that. Or this isn't what I'm supposed to be doing opposed to getting back up and trying again and being honest with ourselves. Well, did I really give it everything I had, right? Or did I have one foot in one foot out? So talk about the power of, you know, your dad asking you the question, did you really try? Did you really apply yourself versus, oh, you're right. You didn't get in. Maybe this isn't for you. Yeah. Well, we all need what we call accountability partners yeah. in life. Like we have to have those people who are not the yes people, the ones who ask the tough questions, the ones that hold us accountable, because if we don't, we don't succeed. Also, we fall into what I call victim mentality. It's 100% fundamental for everyone's success, whether you're 13, 7, 77, it doesn't matter. It's so needed and it's so important. Also, we don't want to fall into what we call victim mentality. Mm -hmm. And oftentimes in life, people play small. And so for me, early in my years, I was a total victim. Well, I didn't get it because of this or because of that. No, you didn't get it because you didn't apply yourself because you mm. weren't the best person for the, the opportunity because it wasn't a good fit because you're going to find out later why you didn't get it because something better was on the horizon. And that's what it is. So for yeah. me, having my dad say, well, did you apply yourself? I needed that at that moment in my life because we talk about pivotal moments and transformational moments. And that was one for me. I can still tell you where I was standing. I can tell you what I was wearing. It was so crystal clear. And so embedded into my mindset, because that was one of my huge transformational moments in my life. And everyone can do that too, but it's understanding that you have to take control of your destiny and you can't blame other people or outside forces as to why you did not get what it is that you want. We call that playing small and it's about taking accountability. So 95% of people live above Oh, excuse me, 95% of people live below the line in blame, shame, and justification. Only 5% yeah. of people live above the line in accountability and responsibility. Mm -hmm. So the question is, where do you want to be? And that 95% of the masses who are, who are sheep and they follow, the, they follow everything and everything is because of you and me and everyone else, or do you want to rise above it and be in that 5% who says, no, I take responsibility. I did not apply myself and that's why I didn't get in. 
So yeah. let me try harder and focus more and make that dream a reality. That's great. Rewind that. Y'all are going to want to listen to that again. <laughs> So apply yourself, you did, like you said, you made it the second year around, and that was a catalyst for you getting the opportunity to then host a TV show for the next four years. So talk a little bit about how that opportunity presented itself. Sure. So after that, I was bit by the bug <laughs> and I grew up in a family. I didn't come from a wealthy family or anything like that. And I knew based on what my father had told me that application was going to be my middle name. Like I have to apply myself. I have to make it happen. And yeah. he would always say, make it happen, make it happen, Dominique, make it happen. And so I knew I wanted a career in media and a career in TV. And I said, how do I make that a reality? Yeah. I don't know. Let me figure it out. So I was that kid at 13 and 14 who was on my computer researching camps, workshops, fellowships around the country, because I knew my parents didn't have the resources at the time to send me to New York from Minnesota, where I'm from, and pay for flight and transportation and, and food and all these different things. Like, that just wasn't an option at the time for me. So instead of saying, oh, poor me, I guess it just won't happen. I said, let me figure out a way. Let me make it happen. Yeah. And so started applying to all of these programs like IRTS, um, NABJ, AAJA. Uh, there was a, a, a fellowship at the Cronkite School of Journalism in Phoenix, Emma Bowen Foundation. These are all phenomenal programs that for people who want to get into journalism who might not know about it. So I started applying to these programs and I started getting in. And they cover your flight, your hotel, your meals, and they connect you with a phenomenal network of individuals in the journalism space where you yeah. learn and grow. So I started doing that. And then there was an opportunity for a host on a show called Whatever. Whatever was very similar to Entertainment Tonight. It was based in Minnesota and it aired on the NBC affiliate called CARE 11. And the show was entertainment news magazine style with a harder twist. So yeah. we would cover celebrities and movie premieres and all that fun stuff. But we would also touch on hard hitting issues for teenagers, things, yeah. unfortunately, that kids deal with. So bullying, suicide, eating disorders, drug use, stuff like that. So it was a really nice blend between kind of the harder news side and like a pure entertainment show. Yeah. And so they had a casting call and they said, OK, we're searching for our next set of hosts for the show. Now, whatever was always hosted by teenagers. And when those teenagers went to college, they would have to fill the, the voids of those positions. So I remember that I saw the commercial and I watched the show every single Saturday at 11 a.m. And I said, mom, I said, there's a casting call for whatever. Yeah. And my mom's like, okay, so we gotta go. Like, this is, this is the thing we're gonna go. We're gonna get there early. I had this whole game plan, Phil, a whole game plan. <laughs> so we show up at the event. I think we were like an hour early. So we walk into the, it was at the Mall of America. Yeah. And for those of you who are not familiar with the Mall of America, just Google Mall of America. <laughs> it is massive. There's, there's an amusement park, like a roller coaster, a bunch of them in the middle of the mall. Okay. So that's how big this place is. We walk in there. We're like over an hour early because I wanted to be first in line or one of the first in line. Oh no. So <laughs> the mall is, is a square, right? So yeah. one side filled with children, the other side filled with children. And then like a third of the other way was filled. So like almost the whole proximity, like more than wow. half was kids in line to audition for this show. And I remember making the walk past all of these kids and thinking to myself, am I good enough? Mm. Oh my gosh. Can I, can I do it? Will they like me? Oh, 
she looks like me. How am I better than her? And uh, uh. so all of this imposter syndrome started to creep in as I was making this long walk to the back of the line. And so I made my way to the front. My mom was with me and they, they gave everyone a slip of paper and there were four or five questions on the slip of paper, super softball questions. Like what are your hobbies? What do you want to be when you get older and why? Like really simple. And I don't remember which, what, what question I answered, but it was number four on the sheet. And so I walked up, I had my sheet and I was so nervous. And the, I had a woman judge and she asked me the question. There was a panel of judges in front of us and you just got whomever opened up first. So I walk up there with my sheet and I, and I give her the sheet and I said, number four, please. And so she <laughs> asked me the question, I answered. And she goes, okay, thank you. And flipped my, my form over. <laughs> Thanks for the and, feedback, right? <laughs> and, and I just stood there like, oh, oh, oh okay. Was that, was that good? Yeah. She's like, yep, yep, that's good. Thank you. I'm like, okay. Now my answer was like 30 seconds and she was like, great, done. So I, so I made my way away from there. And I told my mom, I said, I don't even know what I said. I don't know <laughs> if it was good. I, I have no idea. Uh-huh. So anyways, we got home and two and a half weeks went by and I got a letter in the mail saying, you've made it to the next round. And I thought, oh my gosh, I made it to the next round. So then we went to round two and then there was a, so it was more in depth round three. And then finally they picked their, their hosts. So they picked a few different hosts that year and I became one of them. And so I hosted the show for four years until I went to college. Yeah. So as you told that story, one thing that kind of kept coming back to me was, you know, your dad said, get it done. Your mom was there with you. It sounds almost like there was some high expectations that maybe parents had for you. And I think for some people, they receive expectations and it stresses them out or they're like, I don't know if I can live up to that. Others, it's like, all right, well, now I've got a mark that I'm shooting for. And I almost would reference as a gift. So talk a little bit about, you know, your parents' impact on you and, you know, kind of encouraging you to proceed and check things out. That's a great question. And my parents were not really like rah-rah people just full disclosure. My parents, if I said I wanted to do it, they were like, cool, let's do it. Mm. But I, I, I feel at the time I was like, oh, I wish my parents would be more like, "Mm," like, like pushing me to, to that. They weren't that way. They were more. So if I was the one to initiate it, Hey, let's do it. They'd be like, okay, let's go do it. And so I credit my grit and grind today because of that. I didn't have the pressures of parents saying, you have to be perfect. You have to get on this show. You have to do this. They were more so like, hey, this sounds like something you might be interested in, apply, right? And so even for the Mall of America, I said, mom, we have to go. And she's like, okay. But there wasn't this like, let's prep, let's, let's, let's test it out. It was more so like, I'll drive you and we can go in line together. And I tell people that because everyone falls in different, different sides of the aisle. There are some people out there who are like, I have, you know, I need that push. I need that. And the reality is we have to start within. Because no one is going to push for you as hard as you will. Not a parent, not a spouse, not a boyfriend, girlfriend, a child. Nobody is going to do that for you the way you need to be able to do that for yourself. So it starts from within. Parents, super supportive. But it was the personal grit of like, I'm going to find the camps. I'm going to find the workshops. I'm going to show up and mom, drive me. You know, that is what really was the, the magical formula to achieve the success that I did early on. Love it. 
Now, you, you serve your four years being the host, and then you decide, well, I got to go to college, right? So end up picking University of Missouri, going there, and still focused on kind of the journalism aspect. You got it. I sure did. Yeah, Mizzou. It's funny because I, I had applied to colleges all over the country. Yeah. My heart was actually in California. And I said, okay, I want to go to California. <laughs> and then I had a mentor of mine. Again, I always surround myself with people who are the really truthful, honest mm. people. Yeah. And it's so important to have those in your lives because everyone else will be like, oh, you're great. Do it. You know, yeah. but there was a mentor of mine. His name was Dave Nimmer. And he was a former reporter. He was like five foot one. He always wore cowboy hats and he smoked cigarettes, like chronic smoker and drink all the time. And he's like, Dominique, can you always talk like this? And I loved him, right? Like Dave Nimmer was my guy. He was so amazing. But he told me, he was like, out of the colleges you got into, you need to go to Mizzou. Mm. And I said, well, it's in Missouri and they're the station's on a cow farm and I don't know if that works for me, like California, the ocean, you know, sunshine. And he's like, well, what do you want to do? Like, do you really want to excel mm. faster in the field? I said, well, of course. He said, then Mizzou, it's the number one journalism school in the country. So Mizzou it was, and I, Mizzou is a phenomenal university. And I'm so grateful that I made that choice because it's one of the only, I think it's the only university even to this day where the last two years, uh, junior and senior year, you're actually working at a real NBC mm. affiliate television station. So wow. you're getting real world experience, real live TV experience, not the campus TV, but like real, real truthful experience. And they let you work on all sides of the aisle. So you can work as a producer, as an anchor, as a reporter, as a, a web developer, uh, web, web, um, what on the web team, all kinds of different things. So that's the school I went to and it was amazing. And that ends up being a launching point for you, right? Uh, you know, you graduate from school and you've got jobs lined up. And I want to highlight you're working in Cleveland and you've got the job that you think is, hey, this is a great job. I could see myself doing it a long time. And then a couple of weeks before a wedding, you get a tough, uh, tough message. So talk a little bit about that job that you're doing, the excitement you had behind it, and then that story that goes with it. Phil, I am so impressed by you. I know I've said that twice or three times, but wow, you have done your research. So, so yeah, so I worked in different markets and then I ended up in Cleveland as a TV host for a brand new show. So they said, okay, this is going to be an entertainment show, very uh, up to the minute, but we're going to do all kinds of like celebrity stuff and, and fun around town type stuff. I said, great. So I, I took the position started out, everything was phenomenal. We were doing all kinds of just fun, entertainment, lifestyle types of shoots every day. And I was like, this is great. What I found is that midway, I was probably mm, six months in or so. And what happened is management changed and the show flipped from an entertainment show to a up to the minute breaking news show. So it went from one extreme to the absolute <laughs> other. And it was a one hour broadcast. And so we were like breaking news all over the USA. So we would take car chases in California, even though we were based in Cleveland, Ohio, or hurricanes in Florida. So we were always just taking all kinds of different hits on yeah. top of the local news because right. it was very fast paced. And so I finished my show the same way I did every day. Now at this point, I'm about mm, two and a half years into my contract. So I finished the show the way I did every day. I said, thank you so much for watching. I'm Dominique. I'll see you back here tomorrow. 
lights went off the way they always do. And I grabbed my purse and I always would reach in and grab my phone just to see if I had any messages. And this day in particular, I had a text message and it was from my executive producer and it said, meet me upstairs now. No smiley face. (laughs) No, hey, Dominique, like just meet me upstairs now. And I remember immediately feeling five thousand pounds of bricks on my chest. And I'm like, what did I do? What did I do? I just reverted to what did I do wrong? Right. Now upstairs in this particular building is where all of the managers were located and human resources. Mm -hmm. So, you know, like it's not going to be good. (laughs) So I'm like, okay. And my mind, I'm like a hamster on a wheel. I'm like, what did I say? Did I say something? Did I, did I not say something? Did I offend somebody? And like, nothing's nothing's coming to mind. So I make my way up the stairs, I turn the corner and the conference room is right there. And I walk in and my entire team is sitting in the room for the show that I was on, the whole team, the producers, the photographers, reporters, like everybody's in this room. Yeah. My assistant news director, my news director, and everyone's smiling and laughing. The HR director's in there. So I thought, oh, okay, good. Someone's announcing their retirement. Okay. No problem. So I get a smile on my face and I stroll and I close the door and I sit down. Now I was the last one in the room because I just finished the show. At that point, when I sat down, my news director, his face completely changed and he looked right at me and he was sitting directly in front of me. And I'll never forget what he said, Phil. He looked at me and he said, that was your last show. You are no longer the host of that show. Mm. And the entire room gasped. Because no one had heard this and no one saw it coming, including myself. And I sat there in just radio silence and I stared at him. I couldn't even look away. And he said, do you have any questions? And I just looked at him and I said, yeah, can I, can I talk to you in private? And he said, sure. So we proceeded into his office. And at this point I am so humiliated and so embarrassed and so confused. I'm like, what did I even do? So I walk into his office and I sit down and he sat on in his chair. So we're facing each other. And I asked the million dollar question. I said, do I still have a job? And he said, yes. Hmm. I said, okay. I said, what is my job? And he said, what do you want it to be? And I said, what I was hired for, but my assumption is that's off the table. So I don't, I don't know. I don't know. Uh. And I'll never forget this. He looked at me and he said, you have two choices. He said, you can either come back here tomorrow and be a reporter, Mm. which was a huge demotion for me. He said, or you can walk out that door and never come back. Either way, it's up to you. Mm. Just like that. So I I looked at him and I said, okay, thank you. And I was holding back the tears because all I wanted to do was just break down. I grabbed my purse. I walked downstairs. And at this point, the whole station knows because of the beautiful <laughs> power of cell phones. Everyone's texting each other, the whole state. And everyone's looking at me like, oh my gosh, did you hear? Did you hear? So I made my way to the parking lot, got into my car and I just doubled over my steering wheel because I, I physically could not even turn the car on. I couldn't even turn the engine on. And I called my husband and I was bawling. I said, what did I do? What did I do? And he's like, babe, come home. I said, no, 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 you don't understand. I said, everyone's talking about me. I don't even know what I did. That was my last show. Not even like you have two weeks. Like I'm done. I said, Uh, what? And my wedding was literally 11 days away. And so what's supposed to be the happiest time of my life instantly, like that felt like just the one of the worst moments of my life. 
Right. And so I made my way home and I was just like, what did I do? What did I do? What did I do? What did I do? And I just couldn't stop thinking about what did I do wrong? Mm-hmm. So I got home and he said, honey, he's like, it's going to be okay. I said, I know, but I, I don't know. I can't go back in there. I just can't. Are you kidding me? Like everyone's talking about me. Yeah. I just can't do it. I can't do it. And so he looked at me, he said, well, you now have two choices. You can do what everybody expects you to do, which is mm. to never show your face in there again. He said, or you can rise above it, but I can't make that decision for you. He's like, only you can decide what you are going to do. So that night I was up and down. I'm going to go in. I got this. No, you don't. You don't got anything. Sit down. You're not going in next minute. Okay. I'm going to do it. Oh, what are they going to say? What are they going to say? And that's what stops people. Most time we're so concerned about what we think other people think. And I'll say that again. That's really powerful. What we think other people think, and it stops us in our tracks every single time. So that morning I got up, I said, I'm going to do something I've never done before. Cause why not? Let's just figure this out. Cause I truly believe in life. There's a lesson in every single thing. If we're paying attention, yeah. the problem is most people are looking down. So when something bad happens, something negative happens that they perceive to be negative, they're so down that they're physically looking down that they're missing all of the opportunities that are moving past them. Yeah. So I said, okay, let's just figure this out. Let's just go in. So I got up early made sure I had my story idea because reporters will pitch stories at the editorial meeting in the mornings. And I ended up, and I don't believe in coincidences. Like there were a lot of things that kind of lined up ironically, ended up getting this unbelievable story. It was focused on the heroin epidemic, which is massive in Ohio, Northeast Ohio specifically. And I got someone who is in recovery, who used to do like massive amounts of heroin, just like weeks prior to go on camera and show his face and tell his story. That just doesn't happen in TV land. Right. And so I said, okay, that's a sign that this is going to be okay. So I go into the station and I was like the rare panda at the zoo. Right. Everyone's like, Oh, she's here. (laughs) (laughs) And it was so uncomfortable. I'm not going to lie. So sat down in the meeting and my assistant news director said, does anyone have a story idea today? Mm. My hand went up first. I said, I do. I do. And I pitched my story and they accepted it. They said, yep, go do that. So the story, long story short, ended up being the lead story, which means like the top, the number one story that night on the number one primetime show. And I thought, okay, interesting. Now I did not like or love reporting and I'll never, ever say that I did because I didn't. Right. But I knew there was a lesson in it. I said, okay, this is not what I ultimately want to be doing right now but there's something here that I'm supposed to be seeing. There's something here for me to learn. There's a lesson in this. So one day turned into a week, into a month, two months, three months, the Republican national convention came into town and it was my job as a reporter to go and cover it. So two weeks before we had to go through military SWAT training. And so they brought in all of these officials like FBI, Coast Guard. They had all these people in to train us on what can happen if something goes wrong. So everything, things you actually don't want to know, like tear gas is sprayed on you, do this. When you, when you park, you know, make sure you're, you reverse in, make sure, you know, and we had like diagrams of of like the city of Cleveland. Okay. So know all the alleyways, like you must know where all the alleys are. And if someone starts shooting from this building, here's where you go. And if they're shooting from this building, this is what you do. Like stuff you don't want to know, Yeah. but you should know, but you just don't want to learn that stuff because it's horrifying. 
So we went through all of this training, like what happens if someone grabs you? What happens if you get stabbed? What happens if this, 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 this? So a day and a half, two days before the actual event, my team came to me and they said, hey, by the way, here is your bulletproof vest and here is your bulletproof helmet. Good luck. <laughs> oh, and you're also going to have an armed bodyguard with you at all times. Okay? Yeah. You cannot make this stuff up. The guy's name was Gunny. I'll never forget it. Guy had a rifle. He had that's a, a good name. Like, yeah, Gunny. And I was and I was like, is that your real name? He's like, that's my name. I'm like, you're in the right field. But yeah, his name was Gunny. He had a full blown rifle, bulletproof vest. And wow. my station said, you must be with him at all times. Mm. So it starts to get really real. Yeah. When you find out you have an armed bodyguard, a bulletproof vest and helmet, and you're going into something that you thought was just going to be like a protest, but could escalate into something way worse than what you imagined. So the mindset there was first, the first mindset was they do not pay me enough for this. <laughs> then that dissipated. And then the mindset became, okay, this is really real. Yeah. Um, they must think something's going to happen. Cause why else would they have all these things in place? So the RNC convention happened again. I was the one on the protest day one. I didn't get shot. So it was good. Nothing bad happened. Day two, day three, day four, day five, I was in the middle of the protest and this huge brawl broke out right next to where I was 12 inches from where I was standing. It was, I was literally right next to it. It was the coverage from that particular incident and the whole week that ended up getting submitted to the Emmy awards. And it was that event that earned me my very first Emmy award. And the reason why I tell that story is because people see these things, right? They see my pageantry titles. They see the, the Emmys. They see the, you know, NABJ salute to excellence award. They think, oh my gosh, you're so lucky. Mm. You're so lucky. It must come so easy for you. But they don't know the stories behind them. And I tell them to give people that push to understand that sometimes in life, what you think could be the worst thing that could happen to you, whether it's personally or career-wise can sometimes turn out to be the best thing for you. Yeah. Because Phil, I was complacent when I was at in Cleveland during lunch, I would walk the parking lot during lunch. I was so bored. I'm like, let me just go get some fresh air. And I'd just walk around and I was just going through the motions. I wasn't alive. I wasn't like lit on fire. I was just there. And so I needed that push yeah. to wake me up. And so sometimes in life, when, when a door closes, when we think it's closed, it's not actually closed unless we say that it is closed. There's so many ways around it. You can walk around a door. You can climb over a door. You can crawl under a door. You can kick a door down. Yeah. It's not closed unless you claim it and say that it is closed. So that's an example of how that happened. And so um, it led from one to two to three to a lot more opportunities in my career. And so it really, it really catapulted my career. Now, yeah. for three years post that, I was still so mad. I was so mad at the news director. I said, how could he have done this to me? How could he have done this to me? And what I realized is I was still in what we call victim mentality. Yeah. He did this to me right? How did this happen? And then one day I had this aha moment and I'm like, oh my gosh, he actually gave me the greatest gift. And I didn't see it that way yeah. because had he not pushed me through, it never would have happened. I'd probably still be at that same station 
walking in the parking lot at lunch, bored out of my mind, super complacent. And so I I liken it to a theater, right? Like think of a theater with a big curtain in front of you. And sometimes you're like, okay, should I go out there? There's a ton of people. Should I do it? Ah, ah, ah. And you just can't break through the curtain. And then someone pushes you through and you're like, whoa, it's showtime. That is what happened. And so in this world and in life, you have to jump and find your wings on the way down. And that's, that's what happened. Well, and I love that because to your point, like it seemed in the moment, right. That it was the worst thing that could have happened to you. Uh, You, to your point, I was thinking about what other people were going to be thinking about, but inevitably because you were resilient, you showed up the next day, you said, Hey, you know what? I'm going to pick this up and I'm going to do the best I can at this new role. It ends up being to your point that one of the best things that's ever happened to you. Absolutely. Absolutely. And that's, that's the beautiful thing about life. There's a quote that I love and I live by, and it says, we make plans. Well, God laughs because it's so true. We, you know, we think, oh, this is the strategic way I'm going to do it. And really what's going to be is going to be. And so you can either paddle upstream or you can turn around and flow downstream and realize even if you're in something right now, that's not what you want to be doing just know there are opportunities and there's a lesson in as to why you're there right now. Yep. And so even for me, I never claimed the title reporter. People would say, oh, you're a reporter. And I'd say, no, I'm a host and an anchor who happens to be reporting. Mm. There's a huge difference there. It's yeah. a paradigm shift, right? Just like when people say, oh, you're a black journalist. I say, no, mm. I'm not. I'm a journalist who happens to be black. Yeah. And there's a very, very strategic thing with the way we speak things into existence, right? So even if you find yourself in a position today, you're like, I'm not quite where I want to be, or this didn't go quite right. Understand that you have to force yourself to look up. You have to, and say, what is the lesson here? Because I promise you there's a lesson every single time. And also coupling that with attitude. So I have a book and I, it's the tagline on it is AIE, which is what I say. I say, have AIE all over my office. It stands for attitude is everything. And it means that we always have a choice, whether we believe it or not, I can choose to feel bad or I can choose to feel good. But if I allow someone to make me feel bad, understand I said, make me feel bad. I'm choosing to do that. Nobody can make you feel bad, but yourself, nobody can. And you could say something really mean. Oh, Dominic's awful. Now I can choose to say, "Eh, Phil's opinion, not mine. Don't agree with it. What's for lunch. Or I can say, I can't believe Phil said I, he doesn't like me. Oh my gosh, what, what did I do? What did I do? What did I do? It's a choice. Yeah. And so the key is gaining that muscle memory and that mindset to say, you know what? I'm going to choose positivity. I'm going to choose belief in myself. I'm going to choose that, you know, goals are attainable and I'm going to achieve all of mine. Well, that's, that's so important because I think about it to your point. If someone says something to you, you might pull a thousand people and say, is it justified that I'm upset about that comment? And a thousand people would answer yes, but it was your choice to actually get upset about the comment, right? Yeah, the the comment justifiably, it could make you mad, but I still had to say, all right, I'm going to allow this to fester in me and make me upset opposed to, to your point, all right, whatever, they said it sucks, I don't like it, but I'm gonna go grab lunch and what, what am I having for lunch? Yeah. And the thing is, you know, we have to give ourselves grace because let's be honest, we're all human and things do sting. Like, you know, I'm not sitting here saying, get over it. It doesn't happen. You know, like, obviously we all have days where we're like, 
I can't believe this happened or this person really upset me. I call it the 24 hour rules. I give myself 24 hours to like have my own little pity party. And then I'm like, now you need to wake up and move on. And so the reality is we are human. We're going to have bad days. We're going to have blue days, but the key is understanding that you have a choice and to work through it. Cause otherwise it's like taking poison and hoping someone else gets sick. Like it literally is when you're bottling stress and anxiety and, and, and just anger inside of you, what happens? You end up getting depleted. You end up getting sick from that. So you have to just learn to release it. And one person I just adore, um, Victor Frankel. Mm. Are you familiar with Victor Frankel, Man's yeah. Search for Meaning? So for anyone out there who hasn't studied Victor Frankel, he's amazing um, by every book every book. Um, <laughs> but he, he's a Holocaust survivor for anyone who's not familiar. And, um, his, his whole premise was that he lost everything. He lost everything in his life. Okay. And it's going to leave it. We can read between the lines, their family, like everything. And he always said that no matter what, I mean, this person was in a concentration camp. He said, no matter what, no one can take away my mindset. No one can take away how I choose to feel in situations. Now, if someone can live through the atrocities that he has lived through, we can live through our small things, right? Yeah. And so it's understanding. So even when I have days where I'm upset, I just, I just focus. I'm like, Victor Frankel, mm. he lost his whole family, you know? And here we are upset about, I don't even know, minute things in comparison. Yeah. So it's just that reminding ourselves that we have the choice and we have to keep our own power. That's good. So you're, you're crushing in work, right? You're, you're winning Emmys, you're married, things are going well. And you decide, you know what? Why wouldn't I compete for this thing called Mrs. Virginia? And you win that. And then that gives you the opportunity to compete uh, for Mrs. America. And you win an award there. So talk a little bit about that journey and what prom- prompted that for you to, uh, to step into. Sure. So I like keeping it super honest and real because people always see the shiny side and they don't see the other side behind it. So how did I get into pageantry? I was, I was actually in college and one of my girlfriends was like, oh, there's this pageant called Miss Black and Gold. Now black and gold are Mizzou's colors, Missouri's yeah. colors. And also there's a fraternity called Alpha Phi Alpha and their colors are black and gold as well. And they sponsored the pageant. So there was a, a Miss Black and Gold pageant. They have them like at certain colleges throughout the country and she wanted to run but she wanted a support buddy. And I said, pageantry? Yeah, no, not happening, <laughs> not happening. She's like, why? I said, I, that is so not up my alley. Like pageantry, like pageant girls, like that's the no. Nope, I'll come. I said, I'll make a sign. I will have cheer sticks, but I, this is not my thing. And she's like, come on, please, please do it with me. I said, I just, it just doesn't resonate with me. Yeah. And she goes, okay, I dare you. Now the running joke is don't dare me. Cause I'll probably pretty much, as long as it doesn't get me like arrested or killed, I'll probably do it. Right. I'm like, okay. So I'm like, let's, let's go. Now. One thing about me is I do everything 185%. Like I just don't do things hundred or less. It's like, if we're going to go, we're going to go so hard. Yeah. So ended up competing one miss black and gold for the college university of Missouri. And then they had like a regional one. I think it was in Missouri too. And I won that. And then there was one more and I won, I won the whole system. And so she's like, where, where did that come from? And I said, I don't know. But what I learned quickly was that I fell in love with pageantry because I was looking at it from an outside lens. And I thought, oh, yeah. it's a bunch of like bimbos walking around in heels. Like, it's just not what I want to do. Yeah. Um, and then when I got into it, I realized nothing could be further from the truth. Mm-hmm. These are some of the most intelligent women 
who have such incredible backgrounds. And it teaches you so many skill sets about strength, endurance, discipline, communication skills, um, putting yourself in positions where you're scared and overcoming it. There's so many things, Um, amazing hygiene, like all these things you learn that you can take and carry on into the world that are so foundational, giving back to your communities, all of these different things. And so I did not realize that until I got into it. And I thought, oh, this is incredible. Now I understand why this is so beautiful in our, in our culture, in our society. So I did the Miss Black and Gold. Then I said, okay, I want to run for the Miss, Miss, this is before marriage, Miss America system. So I competed for um, Miss Minnesota America, and I got to be a semifinalist and I didn't get in. And I was like, okay, first one, you know, still disappointed, but I'm like, I had no idea what I was walking into. Right. Pageantry, contrary to popular belief, is a sport. It is a full blown sport. So if you think like, I'll just get a dress and and, and curl my hair and show up. Oh, no, 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 no. It it is, it is a full blown sport. So I learned that quickly and said, okay, now I know what, what, how these women are showing up and how to prep and you need a coach and all of these different things. I said, okay when I come back, I'm going to do it the right way. Mm. So I waited several years. And then I was working at a television station in central Virginia. And I was able to convince my general manager to let me run. Cause first he said, no. And I just kept like a little naft. I'm like, come on, come on, come on. Come on. Finally, he said, okay. So I, I, I ran and I was fresh out of college. I was probably 23 or something. And I, I had told my GM, my general manager, I said, okay, this is what I want to do. He gave me his blessing. Let's do it. And at this point, again, 23, probably 23, I said, I'm going to invest everything into this because I don't do anything small. I'm going to get a coach. I'm going to get a trainer. I had a dietitian. I had a stylist. I had a hairstylist. I had all of these people in place because I was like, we're going to win this. Okay. And I started 11 months earlier. I said, we're going to win. Like, this is it. We're going to win. We're going to win. Now, now looking at in hindsight, I was going at it the wrong way. I was wanting to win because I wanted a title. Right. I wasn't in it for the right reasons. And because I was so hungry and desperate to win a title, I lost Dominique in the process. Mm. So I had all of these people telling me how they thought I should be, how I should talk, how I should hold my head, how I should, how I, everything, even to the point of how small I should be. And I got really skinny, Mm. like not good skinny like yeah. really skinny. And I remember I had someone who would measure my, my thighs and say, Oh, nope, we got to go smaller, smaller, smaller. And it was the dark side of that industry that I found myself in. Now, the blessing is I did not have an eating disorder, but I was, I was doing things that were not good. I wasn't yeah. eating a lot and I was able to stop that before, you know, anything bad happened, but I lost a ton of weight. And so I got to the pageant. I was so frail. I was so weak. And my hair was like super thin because I wasn't eating properly. Like everything that could go wrong was going wrong. Everything, nothing looked right. My dress didn't fit right because I had lost so much weight that things weren't shapely anymore. And so I got to the pageant. I'll never forget my parents had flown in and they saw me and they were like, whoa, is everything okay? Like you look really, really thin. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, this is what, this is what, this is it. Like, this is what they want. This is what it needs to be. Like, we're good. We're good. We're good long story short, I competed. And I, I was so weak when I got up there that I almost fell off the stage during swimsuit. Like I was mm. right on the edge and it was just a disaster. And then somehow I made it to a semi semi-finalist, Right. But I didn't win. 
And I remember when I left there, I was like, I devoted 11 months of my life, like right. 11 straight months every day, like workout, eat, do, 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 every, like, like nonstop for 11 months. Yeah. And it didn't turn out the way I had hoped. Hmm. And I remember feeling so broken and so depleted. And I said, wow, how did this happen? How did this happen? Yeah. Now I was saying that, but I knew the answer. It's because I wasn't, I, I didn't even know who I was. Hmm. If someone said, how are you? I would think, how am I supposed to answer this the way my coach told me to answer it? You know, and that's how everything was. Yeah. And so I made a vow to myself at the end of that pageant. I said, I'm going to come back again. I'm going to come back again. But when I do it the next time, I'm going to do it my way. Hmm. And I'm not going to listen to anybody else. Cause I know, I know now kind of how pageants work, but I'm going to be me unapologetically me. And you're either going to love it or you're not. And either way, that's okay. And so it took me 11 years to come back. And when I came back 11 years post that last um, opportunity, I said, I'm going to do it my way. I I love my body. I'm like, and that's what it's going to be. Not losing any weight. I'm going to be myself. I'm going to be my, let my own personality shine. I'm going to eat what I want to eat. And I'm just going to have a great time. I'm going to do my hair the way I want to style it. I'm going to wear a dress that makes me feel beautiful. Not because someone else said it looks good on me and I hate it. Like one that makes me feel great. And so I went and I competed and I won the title of Mrs. Virginia American and also won uh, best interview, which was kind of cool because I I love interviewing and I love um, talking, right? So I did that. Went to nationals. Nationals were at the Westgate Hotel in Las Vegas and competed for the Mrs. American title. Ended up being top 15, but then I also won the title of most photogenic. So that was super exciting too and and an honor because it was an amazing experience. And once you get to that level and you change your mindset to it's me against them and it's so competitive and, you know, it's not about competing. It's about collaborating. Mm. It's about being happy and proud of whomever takes that title. And this is not blowing smoke. It's everyone works so hard to get there. Okay. And you change one judge, you get a different winner. You change one judge, another winner. It's so subjective. And so at that point, once you get to the national level, it doesn't even matter. It's like, whoever's going to win is going to win. Let's have a great time and let's support each other. And so that was my lesson in the pageantry world was it's not about tearing other people down. It's not about being a crab in a barrel, like me against you. And I hope you fall. And it's not that it's how do we together do something epic and something great. I love it. Love it. And to wrap up our time, you referenced it earlier. We can see it if you're watching the reset book, but talk a little bit about book one and book two um, and kind of the, the reason behind those. And once again, the title of the book is reset. Yeah. So reset is like resetting your mindset Yeah. because in life we are all very programmed. So from very early on, we have been programmed. Don't do this. Don't do that. Don't do this. Don't do this. And we think, oh, 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 that's why we're always stranger danger, right? We're always on edge. What are they trying to do? What are they trying to take from me? Most humans are that way. The same way that most of us have major self-esteem issues. Mm. I can't make that video. Well, what if they say something mean? Am I good enough? What will they think? I'm not rich enough. I'm not connected enough. I'm not pretty enough. I'm not strong enough. I'm not manly enough. I'm not whatever enough. Right. And every person who can hear my voice has had that moment or moments, or maybe it's a daily exercise where you don't feel like you're worthy. Yeah. Okay. 
And we have to reset our mindsets because I was that way too. And I still am. Right. Everyone's still more humans. It's like taking a shower. You got to do it constantly, right? Yeah. And that's Zig Ziglar's. That's not my line, but it's just like taking a shower. You have to constantly practice those things. So with resetting, it's resetting your mindset to realize that you are worthy, you are capable, and you are brilliant far beyond what you personally believe. And I also wrote it because there's so many personal stories in there of how I had to reset whether it was pageantry, whether it was the Emmys, whether it was almost failing out of college, whether it's, there's all kinds of stories in there that are so foundational because people often see somebody that they perceive to have it all together. And they think, wow, well, let me just go down into my depression hole because I can never do that. It must just, they must be really lucky, but they don't know the stories behind each of those things. Every award that I have, there's like 10 or more like awful things that happen to get to that. Every single one, the difference between people who are successful and those that are not is that the ability to keep standing up when yep. you get punched in the face over and over and over and over and over again, like you almost become insane where you're like, that's okay. Let's go. That's okay. Again. And you just keep coming back. Like you're, you just become this like unstoppable breed where you're like, failure is a badge of honor. And I'm just going to keep showing up and showing up and showing up because I know if I keep showing up enough, the things I want in this world will happen. So resetting helps you to do that. The first part is a lot of stories and yeah. teaching you how to do the paradigm shift. And then the second part is actually a self-guided process to reset over 30 days where you actually go through and you fill out uh, the last part of the book to reset your own mindset. I love it. Well, everyone listening, go get your copy of Reset. But I want to say, Dominique, thanks so much for being on and sharing the pivotal moments in your story and everything that's led to where you're at. Um, one, it's it's an amazing journey that you've been on. But two, I'm excited for the journey that you're still on and uh, all the amazing things that you'll continue to do. Phil, it's been an absolute honor. And I would love to connect with your audience as well. They can find me at my website. It's just my first name.com. And I'll spell it because my parents had a <laughs> phenomenal sense of humor. It's D H. O-M-O-N-I-Q-U-E.com. So Dominique.com. You can also learn more about, I have several different companies um, focused in the media space from PR to media training to visual production, all that stuff. You can find all that on my website. I love it. Thanks again. Thank you, Phil.